The Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine, on your own terms. Today, we are on the path of relationships. Today, on The Physician's Road, we speak with psychiatrist Dr. Dawn Brown about ADHD, autism, and other behavioral disorders. We'll talk about what to look for and how to manage them, and we'll also talk about her new book, The ADHD Lifestyle Series, Volume 1. Building Balanced Meals and Exercise Routines for Children. Check out our show notes for links to her new book and her contact information. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Welcome to Physicians Road Podcast. Today, we're on the path of relationships. And I'm so happy to have Dr. Dawn Brown here. She's America's favorite ADHD expert. She's double board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. She's the owner, CEO, and sole practitioner at ADHD Wellness Center and has two private practice locations in Texas. She also has a growing virtual presence offering online appointments. She's a pioneer of the mental health movement and a nationally recognized ADHD coach, public speaker, author, and professional mentor. Dr. Dawn, welcome to the Physicians Road Podcast. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thanks, Dr. Tate, for the introduction. So, yes, I'm also recognized as the MD with ADHD. And so what that means is that, yes, I also have ADHD. I was diagnosed about eight years ago in my adulthood. And it's a reason, one of the many reasons why I'm so passionate um, about the disorder, not only managing it um, with other families, but as well as educating the population and community about ADHD and how important it is to recognize its existence and even more important to manage it. Perfect. And so we'll probably end up doing a very in-depth podcast on ADHD itself. But in this opening podcast, we're introducing you to the Physicians Road um, family. I want to really kind of get into kind of a more general topic around parents and parents of affluence and, and parents who are professionals like ourselves, doctors, dentists, who may have, let's just start on the younger child side of things. If a parent is worried that their child may have something, whether it's autism or ADHD or some kind of behavioral, I don't like to call it a disorder, but just some kind of behavioral, let's just say disturbance, Mm -hmm. um, walk them through what they should be doing, when they should be seeking professional help, any signs and symptoms. um, And you can do it by age bracket if you want. Again, you're the expert. So we really just want to give people an understanding and a, a sense of reassurance about when they should be reaching out for professional help, even though we're all professionals ourselves, oftentimes in medicine? I think that's a very good question, a very important topic to discuss, because it's a common question that I often receive from parents and families. Um, I would suggest that as a parent, you know your child the best. And so if you recognize certain things that are not necessarily um, a part of their normal function or natural functioning, um, then yes, it's a time to ask questions. Typically, that starts with the pediatrician. Sometimes it starts with professionals such as myself as a child psychiatrist. But normally, I 
I would tend to see kids as young as four or five years old. And that is usually the age, of course, you know, where they actually are around other kids. They go to preschool, Montessori, um, you know, so that's a time where a lot of teachers may actually suggest some concerns um, because they're they're in the social atmosphere. And of course, many kids don't get that one-on-one attention. And so that's where they start to recognize some social disturbance that they're talking when teachers are teaching or when they're trying to remind them to sit down in their seat. Um, So that's usually age around four or five. Um, But I more commonly see kids around third grade. And this is a really interesting time frame, mainly because we connect it to the state testing. So, you know, second to third grade is a is a course, um, educational course, where a lot of kids are really advanced and trying to make up a lot of work in a small amount of time. Teachers are trying to prepare their students for the state test, uh, the first one, which is in third grade. And so, you know, the, the amount of instruction that they receive is a lot. And they're trying to cover a, a lot of subject areas, again, in a short amount of time frame. So I see a lot of kids in third grade. Um, But when you start to recognize that your child requires more reminders to complete tasks, um, more redirection, if they're becoming more forgetful, misplacing certain things, um, if they are above their level of activity. And and then again, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, stereotype this because kids are kids and they're very energetic. They're very curious, you know, very curious minds. Um, and also they are, they're very impressionable. And so if they're in environments where they're very stimulated, of course, they're going to respond to that. But if it's interfering with their functioning, um, if they're around people in school and you're hearing from teachers commonly say, you know, very social kid, but you know, he's talking when I'm talking or he's talking to his classmate when I'm trying to teach or he's getting him out of his seat without permission. He's walking out of class. You know, those are the type of comments that I often hear teachers report. And at home, again, you know, reminders and having to do things over and over again. And that's unfortunately the kids are getting into trouble for certain things outside of their control. That's when I'm concerned about executive functioning disorder, such as ADHD. Got it. And so is there a particular pathway that parents should take? Should they always be going through their pediatrician? Should they be trying to call you directly? I know some of this is going to be insurance mediated, whether or not they have to get a referral and those kinds of yeah. things, but do you yes. have a thought process on that? Yes, I mean, very insightful, like you're saying, insurance mediated, of course, because not many insurances offer mental health services unless it's requested. Um, so commonly, I, I actually um, hear that parents come to me because they've met with their pediatrician first. Um, a lot of my colleagues who are pediatricians feel very comfortable and are very professionally experienced in starting management, at first diagnosing ADHD, for example, or autism, you know, usually autism is referred to a development developmental pediatrician or another mental health provider that is clinically trained, it's not easy to diagnose that. It's not, you know, you just can't just complete a, cl- a clinical exam and say, yes, your son or daughter has autism. They, It's actually a extended process. So is ADHD. Um, but if there are concerns, um, pediatricians will t- start the process or they would actually, you know, um, initiate the process and start treatment. And to a certain point, they may continue. And then when it gets to a point where they're just, you know, need more professional um, advice from a specialty provider such as myself, then they will refer to me. Um, On the second hand, there are parents who start the process with me as well. 
Um, and so, yes, it's insurance mediated. It's availability. You know, that is, you know, that is also um, a concern because there's not many child psychiatrists that um, parents can get into within a quick time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to um, make it convenient for parents by offering telepsychiatry appointments as well as an office appointments. Oh, perfect. Well, you, you, you are on the, you are on the cutting edge if you're able to do the, the, the telepsychiatry as part of your, your, your menu of offering already. And, and I'm going to give you a full chance to run that commercial at the end uh, oh, you. about your services and everything. So yeah. let's talk about now on the emotional side, let's, let's put your adult hat on for a second. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the role that denial and shame um, might play in from the parental side of having a child that may have some type of um, developmental process, let's just say. What do you see and what what can you give to parents to reassure them that they're not alone in potentially feeling these feelings? Yes, great question again. And so I actually mediate a mom's group. And this group is basically to help nurture, to help support, to be an advocate for moms who parent children with ADHD. I'm actually mentioned that because um, we talk about that. We talk about the shame. We talk about the guilt. Many um, moms and, uh, and fathers or, you know, any other parental figures, grandparents, for example, they often mention that they feel like a failed parent or a parent role, um, that they felt their child, there's, there's anything they could have done differently when they were pregnant or anything they could have done differently to rear their child in, in, in providing, you know, any nurturing environments, foods, you know, and I say, no, you know, this is a disorder that's outside of one's control. There's nothing that you've kind of done differently. It is, it's particularly if I'm talking about ADHD, it is the most common uh, mental health disorder diagnosed in kids, 6.5 million kids. And it actually progresses to adult, you know, years, 10 million adults average uh, have it. Um, but if you also talk about neuro, other neurodevelopmental disorders, such as autism, we really don't know what causes these disorders. We really we don't know what causes ADHD. We have an idea of what impacts it. So environmental stressors, genetics, high predisposition and within genetics. So if a parent has ADHD, 50% chance that their son or daughter would have it. Same um, type of resemblance within siblings. Concordance rates about 50% as well. Um, and so we still don't know. Um, we have an idea what causes uh, a person to have high blood pressure, you know, by their risk factors. When you talk about ADHD and other neurodevelopmental disorders, we there are risk factors. We just don't know what causes it. So that hopefully alleviates some of the guilt, some of the shame, knowing that it's the most common disorder. So you know it's not your fault. I mean, there are many other parents in your role. You know, it, you know, there's similar experiences you. Um, and I also am an adult version of their children. And so having ADHD, I try to have a therapeutic alliance and connection with them and explain, express to them, hey, my mom didn't know. My my father didn't know. I wasn't diagnosed until eight years ago. So I think that at the time of management, um, I, I tell them, hey, you can have a day. And of course, they don't need my permission, but you can have a day of, of, of you know, trying to figure things out and, and, and having a day of saying, you know, this is not my fault. But guess what? We need to live in the moment. We ne- let's go ahead and position your child to win. Let's talk about what we can do now and how to prepare them for a fruitful f- a future, because that's what's important. And there's a there's a reason for everything, you know. And so um, it just adds value to the to the topic. It adds reassurance to the parents that it's not their fault. Okay. So hopefully that alleviates all those, you know, guilt, shame, fear, those type of feelings that naturally a parent would feel. And okay. I'll be concerned if they weren't concerned. So. 
And so can you give some examples off the top of your head in terms of how you lay out kind of plans for, 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 no, I'm not trying to let you give away any trade secrets, but um, oh. what, what does people's, what does that look like? So, so if a, if a, if a parent is worried um, about one of these de- developmental processes, do you lay out a, a vision of the future for them? What does that kind of look like? Kind of, can you go into that just a little bit? Just give folks a little bit of taste of that. Sure, I definitely do because it's a part of the treatment plan, not just to prepare them for okay, for the next few weeks, this is what we're going to do. But as a as a teenager, expect these things. As an adult, expect these things. So for ADHD, because that's my specialty, I I, I suggest this is a lifelong condition. Even though literature, different forms of literature may say 50, 70 percent of children may actually still have the disorder and try to manage it as an adult, and it's different levels of severity. But I. I believe, and many of my colleagues believe, that this is a disorder that is lifelong. It's just that we're able to compensate for deficits. And so that's what I try to actually have them do, is position their child to win, knowing what their weak areas are, help strengthen them. Um, And then, you know, for some kids, for example, small group settings may be the best type of educational experience for them. And so if you have that versus being at a large university, they're more likely to excel in small group settings because they have that one-on-one experience. That's how I excelled at Xavier University of Louisiana, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so it's so important that we talk about the lifestyle. And that's what, I know we're going to get to it at the end, but that's what my programs offers, is that we talk about the lifestyle. And that's so important, not just to hit on medication management, but what their meal planning should be looking like. What are the best fuel sources for the brain when you have a neurodevelopmental disorder, Um, as well as activities. So that's important. And, per- and if you want to go into it now, this is perfect. Oh, time. okay. You want to go through that? Go right ahead. Yeah. So, you know, as far as, as, as a neurodevelopment source such as ADHD, I, I actually offer an eight-week program. It's called the Total Optimization ADHD Lifestyle Program. And currently, I offer it for children. Um, this program talks about meal planning. It focuses on different routines homework routine, bedtime routine, or sleep hygiene routine, all right, school routine, um, waking up routines. I mean, these are the type of struggles and the stressors that many parents experience when their child has an executive function that has really no capacity for time management. Um, It's hard to recall different things. And so I offer a program that uses all types of or different parts of the brain so that it can position their child to win and making sure that they require less reminders. they're not forgetting their instrument at home or their lunchbox at the kitchen counter and their parent has to run home or provide them meals at school. I mean, this is like an everyday type of happening for many parents who have children with ADHD. Um, And if you talk about other executive functioning disorders like dyslexia, which is commonly associated with ADHD, there are different types of support systems that the school can provide, different types of of resources that parents can utilize at home to help their dyslexic child. Um, Autism spectrum disorder, a lot, another lifelong executive neurodevelopmental condition that actually affects social skills, communication skills. Um, to, you know, these kids tend to um, sometimes not really grasp the nonverbal cues. And so they need these type of social skills or social skills training in order to make sure that they are viable and vital uh, citizens, you know, in society too. So we talk about the lifespan. We talk about what it's going to be like to go to school school, what type of school they're going to attend, what type of activities like karate, which is the best form of activity for any child who has oppositional defiant disorder 
or ADHD or autism. Um, it teaches levels, achievement. Um, it is a peer related uh, um, activity. It teaches discipline because they have to, you know, agree and, and respect their master who's teaching. Um, and it just allows for them to have self-worth because they're progressing through with a color belt. I mean, that's my, my most common um, recommended um, activity. And it gets that heart rate going as well. Um, so yes, we, we talk about all aspects. And this is a very valuable tool program that none of the psychiatrists or any other individuals offer. But I know what it's like because I live with ADHD. So that's what I tried to take. Um, I tried because I did karate. I did music. Um, I attended a small university. Um, and I've succeeded in my life's achievements. And, and so I want to give that to other families so they can also benefit from it as well. So we we could call that you 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 lived your creed. I lived my creed. That's right. That's right. And it's a superpower. I know you refer to it, Eric, as a disruption. I appreciate that we're knocking off the disorder part. Of course, we describe it as disorder because that's what people are going to read about. That's what they're going to associate it with. But when you think about it and you're managing, particularly ADHD, it is a superpower. Um, it doesn't put us above anyone. I say superpower in context of that person's ability to achieve. Um, and so it's not a thorn in my side. It's as long as I know how to manage it, I'm so creative. Um, I'm very intelligent. I'm a scholar. I'm an author. I mean, I'm an achiever. And it has nothing to do with, you know, me boasting. It has everything to do with me experiencing failures in my life, not knowing that something such as ADHD interfered with my ability to see. And now realizing that, wow, I'm at the top 10% of my profession, you know, based upon this disorder and managing it. So, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about it. And I'll speak all day about it if you like. So <laughs> Listen, it, 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 it comes through as, as a mentor of mine, let's just say you can hear it in your music, meaning the, right. the way in which you were, you were speaking, the way that in which you were talking about it. And so, so let's, let's give me 30 seconds on how having ADHD has helped you. It's helped me in relationships. Um, it's helped me to communicate to my significant, my significant other. Um, these are certain of my idiosyncrasies that may be part of my personality, but this is definitely part of my ADHD. So uh, my my significant other is so awesome. Um, and, and having those conversations with him allows me to be at my best. Because now I'm not concerned about him because we're so caring people as well. And, you know, part of our disorder is that we know we need reminders and we need structure. And so that actually helps our other family members <laughs> provide. So if a mom has a child and she's, you know, helping with the you know, structure of their child's life, everyone in that family is getting on board with their own structure, taskless completion. It's so helpful with everyone. Okay. So, you know, that's helped. It's helped in my profession, of course, is being a, having ADHD and it's connected me um, with families and individuals who may not necessarily have believed in mental health disorders and now identifying, wow, this is something that is outside of my control that now I understand that I have objectively and now I can trust that I can manage this and be successful. And so that has been a huge gratification type of 
of tool for me that to see that other people are realizing success and achievement um, when they came to me, you know, you know, complaining of failures and not performing at their optimal best. Um, it's helped me in my own self um, esteem. You know, I did not know why I was struggling in medical school. I mean, I actually failed boards five times and I oh, yeah. actually expressed that not and I'm a good doctor. OK, don't get me wrong, but it was ADHD that interfered with that. And so that's why I say I was at the top 10 percent because I had to take boards after my child fellowship and it was four years of boards and I, I scored at the top level all four years. So for me, I it went from failing to succeeding. And so, you know, I discussed that in my book, my book that I'm releasing in a few weeks as well, is that this is a disorder that can interfere with school. It can interfere with relationships. It can interfere with your career. It can actually lead to other risk factors such as drug and alcohol use. It can lead to divorce. I mean, these are the risk factors that are well known about executive functioning disorders such as ADHD. Okay. Perfect. Well, that's a, that's a great encapsulation of, of everything. And the big takeaway that I've gotten from you, routinization in terms of, and structure are huge things that need to be put in place, I think for all children, but especially in and around developmental, these types of developmental processes. So let's switch yeah. gears a little bit and let's move into a little bit older age child, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you, you see, you see this in your practice. You can kind of tell me where the breakdown is. I know with my wife and I, we're both physicians, we make more money individually than our parents probably made collectively. Mm-hmm. And so we're raising children in a way that is a little bit different than we were raised, not necessarily in terms of discipline, but just in terms of material wealth. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I'm in a lot of doctor groups, there is a lot of angst around raising children with children of privilege and of affluence and fear around behavior in that process. And so, again, I'm not an expert, so let's just talk about um, some of the emotional issues that can affect children of affluence in terms of what you see, and then we'll move into how do we guard against that, or if we have those issues, what, how can we fix that in our own children? Yeah, I try to normalize a person's experience. Um, many of mo- majority of my patients are from the communities of affluence, and so um, that's predominantly of, of the patient population that I serve. And then I also have the opposite end where I serve individuals who are not insured. So I I I, I see the difference, and I'm I, this is a great question to bring up because there are certain differences within each community. When you talk about members of affluence, um, of course, like you're talking about the accessibility. So the the availability of having teachers there, um, the availability of having private schooling, the availability of of coming into appointments whenever you can, especially if you don't require insurance. I mean, the the need of gratification to be gratified in a certain time frame is there when you have the resources. I mean, that's just how it is, right? Um, And so sometimes that mask certain complications and challenges that our children and even our families are facing. So you're not necessarily are going to see the, the common um, symptomatology that may be presented. For example, depression, very common in our society. I see it more common in the communities of affluence than others because I know what to look for. <laughs> so some kids may be a selling in school grades, all a average doing great on this football team. But when I have them one on one in my office, you know, they might have said they were suicidal. 
and 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 their parents would not know because sometimes the 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 look on if a person or a child is achieving is basically by their productivity but mm-hmm. not by communication okay so and let's so, go so let's let's go there so what should parents be watching for as a parent instead you know if i could if you will instead of watching and i'll take that i'll t- i'll definitely answer that question i would actually say start by communicating with your child okay how do they feel talk about emotions Talk about feelings because sometimes um, kids are not going to express it as we want or as we would know how they would express it. You know, usually when someone is sad, they're crying. But these children, and 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 and, and I see it more commonly in communities of affluence, they're not going to show it. They're going to talk about it through communication if you ask. And usually they, they're going to talk about it unsolicited with their peers. Is there a way that parents can ask to get more? I mean, because especially if you have teenagers, and I don't have any, but you know, we, we yes. see all we, we see all the the, the the usual angst around teenagers and, and them shutting down. Right. Is there a way, or do you have to cultivate that from a younger age, or how you, how do you navigate that? Great question. It's great to cultivate that from a younger age because you develop a routine in cultivating it. It's not pretentious. You know, you're having your mom and daughter moments and they're happening every day. You know, just a five minute conversation. How was your day today? Um, Like, for example, I've recommended for parents to talk about one great thing that their child did and one not so great thing that they're struggling with and have that question every single day, you know, to start the conversation where it becomes a part of their routine, where the child is actually talking to them about their day and they don't have to ask. Okay. So it's great to cultivate that, but you can, it's never too late to start cultivating that either. Um, having the discussion, hey, listen, you know, um, for example, I had a, a family come in the other day and their teenager is addicted to, um, the, you know, gadgets, social media. Mm-hmm. And that's how they communicate. Now, part of it is because he has a communication disorder, like a, uh, he has he has autism spectrum disorder. And so many of his friends are online and he doesn't have good communication skills. And, and we're working on developing those. Um, but one way that he communicates through music. So what he's doing is actually playing a song to them to express his emotions where he's not able to vocalize them. Oh, you have to meet, yeah, you have to meet your child where they are and your child is still a child when they're teenage because they're your child. Right. Yeah. So see what they're involved in. And I'm not suggesting that you become the child and they become the parent. What I'm suggesting is that we're making different connections that we were making when we were children and our parents were parents, our parents, because the, the game has changed as far as involving technology, as far as far as involving how, you know, fast the world is paced. We're not sitting around the dinner table and having having these type of discussions, right? Not commonly, you know, and so that's where we fail. That's where we don't get to have these awesome discussions where we, you know, talk about conflict resolution and resolve certain things that they're experiencing. So we have to make room for them. And so if you're picking your child on the way up from school, have the conversation. If, if, you're, if your child is 18 and they're still living at home, have the conversation, you know, over dinner, um, over bowling game, have them though. Um, it's so important to, that we incorporate that time. Okay. And so I would say that's definitely number one. That's definitely so, number one. So communication is the big, is the, oh. is the big driver of this and communicating in a way that 
is at their level where they're meeting them where they are on the communication level, but you don't cede your role as parent in the process. Would that be yes? And, and and one 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 final thing I want to make, Doctor Tatum, with this is because social media has disallowed the soft skills to be identified that we're so used to in our generation. What I mean by soft skill are the nonverbal skills. When you go to a fast food restaurant, you know, with the exception of a known. Chick-fil-A restaurant. I'm not even get permission from them. But, you know, if you were to go to some other restaurant where they don't say good morning and God bless you and how was your meal and, you know, would you like anything else? I mean, I've actually went to like three and I did, I actually did a small study, you know, when I go to these places where it involves a lot of teenage employment, you know, who is going to say hi to me? Who is going to engage eye contact with me? Who is going to notice when I'm not satisfied with my meal? Who is going to notice this? And I will tell you nine times out of 10, you know, the teenagers didn't notice and it's not their fault, but it has a lot to do with maybe upbringing, but a lot to do with things like this, these gadgets and how they're communicating even with their friends. I mean, I have a family of four and they communicate text messages while they're in the home instead of, you know, engaging. So we're working on that. So, you know, just to give you some ideas of it's just so important. We're getting away from it because we have the introduction of technology and how that can disrupt it. But we need to get back to old school and communicating with our with our family members. So sitting around the table and talking about each other's day and how, how, right. how everyone is feeling is a is a is a, is a noble, noble outcome to shoot for, I guess. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. Well, we are. Time is running, and I know people's attention spans can can, can wane. So, what I want to do is there is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to communicate, kind of in your introduction to to the physicians' road and what people what what you would like to, to to communicate to others, and then tell us about your practice and where people can can find you. Definitely, you know, having a mental health disorder is definitely not the end of the world. Um, I believe that just like any other medical condition, having a mental disorder is just as important to recognize if you have a mental health disorder and then therefore make sure that it's managed appropriately. And it can be as simple as managing someone who has high blood pressure or even the flu. Um, and it could also be as simple as just suggesting that, listen, this is the problem that I'm having. So, if you know, I actually recommend starting with your family Remember, you know, if you think that something is off, um, even with your child, have those open discussions with your family member and together you all can actually seek out providers such as myself. And I'll give you my information in a minute here because I welcome you and I don't treat everyone that walks in my office because everyone office that walks in my office doesn't necessarily need treatment. They just need direction and they need reassurance of what's going on. And so that's what my role is. Um, and so it's, it's okay. I have a mental disorder. I'm functioning and I'm thank God that I identified it because it has definitely been a life changer for me. All benefits I've mentioned um, in our discussion today. Perfect. Okay. And so now please give us your commercial. Yeah. So listen, Dr. Dawn Psych MD, your most influential double boarded child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. I help moms and their ADHD children champion their ADHD. So through my speaking events, my book series, upcoming book series, I'm having my first book launch on April 17th. Please look out for me on all social media avenues at Dr. Dawn Psych MD. That's D R D A W N P S Y C H M D. You can go to my website, drdawnpsychmd.com. You can find me in Houston, Texas. I actually have an office um, that you can see and also provide telepsychiatry in the states of Texas and Illinois where I'm licensed. So I would love to help you and your families. And not only do I see people with ADHD or suspected ADHD, but I also manage 
um, disorders such as autism, spectrum disorder, Tourette's disorder, opposition defiant disorder, anxiety, depression. So, you know, these are the common comorbidities that we've also associated with ADHD. So I would love to be a part of your family. Perfect. That's a boy. You are you are you are you are well trained, boy. You, got that. you, you, hit, you nailed that one. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Tate. I appreciate Absolutely. that. No, thanks to have you on again. We'll, we'll have you on, and we'll probably do deep dives on specific disorders uh, in the future as well. So, I just want to give people a quick overview of kind of who you are and, and your expertise because I've been impressed with with with. with you and your cohort and what, you, and what you're doing. And we want to do as much as we can do to support you out there. So, And God bless you with what you're doing. We need more Dr. Tates. I mean, what you're doing is phenomenal. Um, it's, it's, it's accessible. Um, it, it's entertaining as well as educational. And I think that these are the type of things that we need to do more of. So I really appreciate this opportunity to be on your show. And I appreciate the support that you've shown me as well. Thank you so much. I mean, it just benefits the population. I think that's what we're both about as well. I know that's what we're both about. So, and that's our both of our mission. So I appreciate that. No, thank you so much. And so I want to thank Dr. Dawn Brown for being with us today on the Physicians Road on our path of relationships. Uh, Please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast medium of choice, and please write a review. Uh, Five stars is best because it helps us rank higher so that more physicians can find us. Um, But please, of course, do an honest review. And please check out our Facebook group on um, Facebook. Uh, the Physicians with an S Road um, on Facebook and join us there um, where we go through the different paths of relationships, practice, wealth, personal development, and health. And so thank you again for joining us on The Physicians Road. I'm Dr. Eric Tate. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.